This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday or question edition of the podcast. Um, I made the mistake of asking for uh, a lot of legal questions. I'll never do that again because uh, I think we got a bunch, Mary Langston, and I don't know the answer to most of them. And Trey, we have a lot of good questions. There's a lot on listeners' minds this week. A lot of them are legally focused. So are you ready to get started? I don't think so, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> you don't have your lawyer right now. No, I don't have a lawyer with me. I don't. <laughs> well, our first question is all the way from New York. It's from Jay, and he writes, please explain in lay terms what probable cause means and step-by-step actions taken in searches. Wow. Uh, in layman's terms. Uh, yes, well, sir. I, I will start with something as antithetical and opposite from layman's terms as you possibly can, and then work our way back to it. I'll tell you what the Supreme court says. Mm -hmm. They define probable cause as where the facts and circumstances within the officer or agent's knowledge and of which they have reasonably trustworthy information are sufficient in themselves to warrant a belief by a person of reasonable caution that evidence of a crime could be present. So you hear the word reasonable and facts and circumstances. It is amorphous. It, it is not a math equation. I do try to use numbers to highlight uh, the different evidentiary levels, but I got to tell you, even doing that, we are warned by courts not to do that. I mean, I do it because I think it's helpful for people to understand, but the courts say, don't do that. This is not a math equation. It is not formulaic. It is not rigid. These are words and phrases and not numbers. So when you see reasonably trustworthy information, when you see reason, a person of reasonable caution, that's what they're looking for. So, so let's go here. All right. We've heard before this phrase, not a scintilla of evidence. That means none, zero, not a scintilla of evidence, N nothing. That's zero. Then you move to this phrase called articulable suspicion. And that's somewhere in the 20 to 25, maybe percent range on a scale of one to a hundred. It's, it's, more than just a guess, it's a reasonable hunch. But there's that word again, reasonable. And then you move to probable cause if you're going up the scale. And this is where I kind of disagree with some of my, you know, more learned legal friends. Some of them believe that that is 50.1%, barely more so than not so. But I don't because that's what we call preponderance of the evidence. If it is, imagine 
you know, a set of scales, they're completely level and you put a feather on one side. That is a preponderance. It is slightly more probable than not probable. But that's not probable cause. Probable cause is somewhere in the 30 to 35 percent range on a scale of one to 100, I would say. It's got to be more than a guess or a I hope I get lucky here. There has to be a basis. And I think I'm going to go through the scale and then I'll kind of give you a fact pattern that may help people. So preponderance is 50.1, clear and convincing evidence, which is a standard we have in civil cases and a few other types of cases. That's more like 75%, you know, three-fourths of the way certain. We hear beyond a reasonable doubt in criminal cases, that is the standard. That's like somewhere in the low 90s up to maybe the mid 90s. Um, That's firmly convinced of something. That's what it takes to convict someone. That is not what it takes to search a house. It is way less than that to search a house or to arrest someone. And then every now and again, you hear people talk about, you know, beyond all doubt, which is sort of like back to zero, because that's as much a philosophical question as it is a mathematical one. I don't know how you can be certain of anything beyond all doubt unless you have all the facts. And how do you know that you have all the facts? Because you don't know what you don't know. So how does it work in reality? It works like this. Cops get a tip. They see something, they hear something and an investigation begins and it doesn't take anything to begin an investigation. You can, it can be a rumor. You know, I hear that X is growing marijuana. So if you're a cop, what do you do? You hear somebody's growing marijuana in a house. Probably the first thing you do is pull their power bills to see whether it is wildly out of proportion with their neighbors. Because the increased use of electricity for the heating that is required to grow marijuana plants, that is, is that probable cause if the heating bill is wildly out of whack? No. But it's part of what you may need if you're trying to build probable cause. So I want to take an absurd fact pattern. Aunt Gertrude owns a home. Um, Someone was in her home and they noticed a microwave, white powder all over the kitchen sink, some, you know, glassine or plastic baggies. And on the wall in the kitchen was a picture of Al Pacino from the movie Scarface. Is that probable cause that Aunt Gertrude is a cocaine dealer? What do you think? Mm. You don't like questions, I know. You got a microwave, which you need to convert cocaine powder into cocaine base or crack cocaine. You've got white powder all over the kitchen sink. You've got plastic baggies, and you got a picture of Al Pacino on the wall. Is that probable cause that she's a cocaine dealer? The answer would be no. (laughs) I mean, how do you know she's not, like, making cookies for the church Mm -hmm. raffle? All of that stuff can be explained some other way. I mean, first of all, what is the white powder? Is it flour or is it, you know, Peruvian cocaine? Microwaves are used to make cocaine base, but they're also used to warm up cold cups of coffee. And yeah, plastic bags are used a lot in the drug trade, but they're also used to pack kids lunch for school. That is not probable cause. What if someone claims they went into her home and made a purchase of drugs. Now it's getting interesting, right? Is the person reliable? How many times has the person done it? Did you t- 
test what came out? I mean, somebody says they bought drugs. Did you test the drugs? No, I don't mean send them to a lab. They can field test them now. And then the next question, if I'm a cop, is does it even matter whether it's really cocaine or not? Because most states have what we call counterfeit statutes, where it's against the law to sell something that's a counterfeit drug that you represent as a drug, but it's really not a drug. Mm-hmm. And the more important question is, is this transaction on audio or video? And that's usually how we would get probable cause. We would send somebody in, it's on audio or there's a you know hidden video. They make a drug transaction and that is your probable cause. So, but still doesn't tell you anything about Ann Gertrude. She may not know anything about it. It may do, be her ne'er-do-well son. Mm-hmm. But you're not trying to search Aunt Gertrude. You're trying to search the house. So the informant going into the house clean with nothing. We search them before they go in. They're wired with audio, maybe video. They come out with a controlled substance that field test positive. It's on audio and video. That is sufficient probable cause to search the house. The first fact pattern would not be because there are benign explanations. The second one, does it prove anything? It proves you got a reason to search the house. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You go swear out the facts to a, to a judge and the judge decides, the cops don't decide whether you have probable cause. Not in warrant cases. There are warrantless searches and there are warrantless arrests. But right now we're talking about warrants. A judge decides whether you have probable cause. And that warrant tells you what you can search and seize and when you can search and by what date, because there's always an expiration date on search warrants Mm. that tells you whether you have to knock and announce that you are there or not. Usually you do or should, whether it's a nighttime search, which is rare or a daylight search. And then the cops go and execute the search warrant and they keep track, um, in writing and with video and with photographs, what is found, where it is found, what is taken. Um, You know, and then that's when the really interesting questions come. If you're there for drugs and find stolen furniture, can you take it? If you're there for cocaine, but you see LSD, can you seize it? Can you break into a safe? Yeah, because the warrant would be for money too. Because remember, you sent somebody in to buy cocaine and you used marked dollar bills when you made that control buy from the house and you want to know whether or not those marked dollar bills are in the safe. So yeah, you can, but if you're there looking for a stolen elephant, are you, can you look into a safe then? Maybe probably not, but maybe because the warrant may allow you to search for papers connected with a stolen elephant. So When you hear me or anyone else say they want more facts, that is not a dodge. It's not somebody being weak, which is what I hear Republican, some Republican people say that, you know, you're weak if you ask for more facts. I can't think of anything less weak than saying, give me all the facts. Give me all the facts, not just for the search in Florida, not just that one, all the facts all the time. Because that's where you can draw the best conclusions. And that is the best way I can explain probable cause in that 45-minute diatribe. Well, thank you, Trey. You're such a good teacher. And thank you, Jay, for your question. 
We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Our next question is from Lee, and he writes... In 2016, you questioned FBI Director James Comey on Hillary Clinton's testimony before Congress. Several times, Comey responded that Hillary's answers to Congress were inaccurate or lies. Why was nothing done to Hillary? All right, Lee, I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm going to practice what I preach. Mm. Um, And here's here's the preaching. The question, as I heard it, was. FBI director regarding Secretary Clinton's testimony before Congress. Mm. That is a very, very important fact. Because her testimony was not before Congress. Her answers to me, um, well, her answers were false. They weren't to me, but in my opinion, her answers were false. However, um, those questions were not posed with an obligation to tell the truth. If you're not familiar with the video that Lee is referencing, it was an appearance by Jim Comey before a committee that I was serving on. And what I did is I juxtaposed what Secretary Clinton said to the media, said to you, said to the public versus the truth. But it's not against the lie to the law to lie to reporters or voters or the public usually. It is against the law to lie to the FBI, although they can lie to you. You cannot lie to them. So that was sort of my point with that uh, video, which has been pretty widely disseminated since it happened, I guess. I guess it happened in 2016, I guess. So, Lee, her testimony was not before Congress. Those were answers that she gave to the media while she was running for president. And yes, they were false. Now, I don't use the word lie unless, you know, lie to me is a material statement, which happens to be false, which is uttered with the intent to deceive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think all of those boxes are checked with her answers, but I'll let other people decide whether you know, she was mistaken, whether it was a lie, what I, I'll let other people sort all that out. There's no question what she said is not true. Ain't no question about that. Which is sort of my point with this whole juxtaposition of her case with the search in Florida. The FBI didn't even bother to talk to her after they had already decided not to charge her. They followed a very different investigative path with her than they did Jeff Fortenberry, who was a former United States uh, congressman from uh, from Nebraska. Mm. They followed a very different investigative path with her 
than other people they interviewed in the so-called Russian collusion investigation. They did not search her house. They didn't do anything to the people who destroyed emails and servers. All of that is fair game. What she says to the public, we are welcome to punish. And you can argue the voters did. But lying to the public, lying to a reporter, lying in a press conference is not lying to Congress. And it's not lying to an FBI agent. And therein lies the distinction. And to a lot of people, that is a distinction that doesn't make a difference. But the law says otherwise. The, the, the law doesn't tell you you can't lie to reporters. It does say you can't lie to federal law enforcement. So it, it was pretty obvious to anyone who watched that exchange um, that she was not honest with the American people. And if you doubt me on that, if you want to see it for yourself, you're welcome to go watch it. It's quick. Uh, the answers are not tough. And the, I mean, the questions aren't tough and the answers aren't complicated. Um, she wasn't honest with the American people, but neither are many other Republicans mm-hmm. so it, uh, or politicians. It, it's not a crime to a lot of voters. So the other part of his was why was nothing done? Mm-hmm. And I would argue something was done by you. She was not elected president. There is a consequence usually for disingenuity and dishonesty. Just depends on who meets out that consequence, who meets out the punishment. Um, so I would argue there was. Uh, She did not get the thing that she wanted most of all, which was the presidency of the United States. My point um, in most all of this is simply this. There's a reason people have lost confidence in institutions they once trusted, like the Bureau and the Department. It did not just happen. Uh, There's a reason. And the reason is a belief that different people are treated and handled differently and how they are investigated. That is not hard to prove, um, but we got to be very precise. And the precision is that what her false answers were not made to Congress and were not made to law enforcement. They were made to you. That's not a crime, but there's a consequence. And I think that's why she's not the president. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Lee, for your question. Our last question is from Jean, all the way from the UK. They write, how is it possible that the FBI can refuse to answer questions from senators? Uh, The same way you and I can. Uh, We can answer with a word mosaic uh, that says nothing, which is what many witnesses do. Or we can answer by saying we're not going to answer. Usually what you know, FBI or not just FBI, any witness that comes before Congress, usually what they say is, you know, we'll get back to you or we'll get you some documents, which sometimes they do. And oftentimes they don't, but yeah, the Bureau is very concerned with this image. They uh, have been, and uh, they take great steps to protect that image, even when the facts don't support that. Um, I, I guess everybody wants to protect their image. The question is, whether the steps we take to present to protect our image are honest and honorable steps or not. Mm-hmm. So I think the FBI would have been much better off saying, look, some of our agents and supervisors and attorneys fail to meet even the most basic minimum standards of competency and fairness. Um, and we're going to do everything we can to try to re regain public trust, but that's not what they said. That's not what they did. It took an inspector general investigation to find Peter Strzok's text. Uh, it wasn't the FBI. 
it was an inspector general investigation. And even when they had him, um, they kept him on. You got an FBI uh, lawyer uh, changing evidence. You got a failure to vet or corroborate allegations in a dossier, which is really nothing more than a you know piece of political uh, oppo research. Uh, the Bureau fired Chris Steele as a source and then continued to use his information. So the only way to get the attention of folks in Washington is with money and withholding money uh, to get the information that you want. But there's no appetite for that. And I'm not even saying it would be wise because that may impact crime and crime victims. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to punish crime victims because the FBI won't answer Congress's questions. So do you have to answer questions before a member of Congress? I mean, no. I mean, look at all the people who, you know, start talking about purple tricycles when they're asked about specific questions. Nobody, very few people actually answer the question asked. It's up to Congress to mete out whatever consequence they want if they don't think they're getting the information that they need. But I also want to close by saying this. There are you know, more than 10,000 FBI agents. I talked to one this week that I would trust with anything and everything in my life. Mm-hmm. I would trust him with it. 99% of the FBI agents are just what you would want them to be. Some of the ones making the decisions in Washington are exactly what you don't want. So we got to keep the proportions in mind. Um, We got to, we cannot, we cannot, you know, I can name probably 10 to 12 FBI employees that failed to meet any, any basic expectation of competency or fairness, but they're more than 10,000. So we got to figure out, why the ones making decisions in D.C. are the ones that should not be there, um, but also keep the broader proportions in mind. The overwhelming majority of the FBI agents are folks that you would want to be your next door neighbor. Well, thank you so much, Trey. That was a good point. And thank you to our listeners for your good questions. And Trey, happy early birthday. We're so grateful for you and the light that you shine into the world. Oh, you must have me confused with someone. No one's one's, (laughs) not at all. Not at all. No one's ever said that to me before. (laughs) I'm sure Uh, they have. Happy early birthday. I'm going to go get a polygraph and put you on a polygraph (laughs) machine. That thing is going to sound like a set of symbols. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, thank you. I do think I have a birthday coming up. I think I thought I thought we got a question about the music that opens our podcast. Did we get We that did. One? We've had actually several listeners ask about the opening song on the podcast, who plays it, who created it. Several questions on that, Trey. I got one. I think I think it's from Ben in Indiana. And he mm-hmm. began by saying that this is an easy question. Do you remember he saying did that? say that? I saw that. Yes, sir. Here's an easy question. What is the name of the music that opens your weekly podcast and who performs it? Mm-hmm. That's right. To me, that highlights a very important facet of life, which is the questions we think are easy or not. Because he starts by saying, here's an easy question. And I'll guarantee you to him, this isn't, e- you should know the answer to this question, Trey. So I'm going to say it's an easy question. <laughs> But I remember sitting in math class and I remember specifically being asked, what is three times zero? And the teacher thought that was an easy question, too. And that was (laughs) 50 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And I've had a lifelong challenge answering that question ever since. So that wound up not being an easy question. And then, you know, you know, my wife, she asked me from time to time what she thinks is an easy question, which is, did you do the things I ask you to do? Or did you just go hit golf balls this afternoon? (laughs) And you would think, well, that's an easy question to answer too. I mean, the answer is I hit golf balls while I thought about your list of things to do. Exactly. It's both. Mm -hmm. And to her, that's an easy question to me. It's complicated because before you do something, you have to prepare and you have to plan, which means you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. So when Fox said, you know, that they couldn't get anybody they wanted to do this podcast. So would I be willing to do it? I did start thinking about the introductory music. Um, I'm sure you did. I did. And I wanted to write the music myself. So then Fox began to ask me a bunch of silly questions. Like, do you play any musical instruments? Do you know anything about music? Have you ever studied music? Do you have any experience or just like silly questions like that? <laughs> and I wasn't really paying much attention uh, at the time because there was other stuff going on. Um, but I, th- I think what they said is you need experience to write music. Mm. So, you know, experience can be gained either in a classroom or it can be gained practically. Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking, okay, I do like that song that they play when Ryan Gosling and Rebecca McAdams get in the boat and the notebook and go look <laughs> at those pink birds. Remember that? Uh, do you remember? I don't remember the pink, but I remember the birds. I thought the birds were pink. Maybe they weren't. Maybe her outfit was pink. I don't know. I thought <laughs> the birds were pink, but I remember I liked the music and I thought, well, maybe I could write some words to go with that music. Mm-hmm. But if you've seen the movie, you know, the only appropriate words that would go with that song would be, it's about to start raining. We should probably head back because <laughs> they get called in a thunderstorm. Remember? And so That's this right. song is beautiful, but I mean, there are no words to it. So mm-hmm. if I was going to write words to it, it's look, I mean, we all really picked the worst time in the world. Plus, why did you get so dressed up to go ride in a canoe? <laughs> That's what's bother that was that's what bothers me about that. I like the music and I like dance music. Do you like dance music? Mm-hmm. So I yes. thought we could have like intro music that would be like a dance song. And oh. my favorite dance song is a song called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> have you heard that song? The only reason I have is because you told me about it. Yeah, yes. it's it's one of the great dance songs of all time. <laughs> so uh all of that bent <laughs> to say i have no idea what the music is uh mary langston's gonna have to find that out for us the folks at fox um have stopped returning my calls so i can't i can't ask them but it's a really fair question what's the name of the music that opens your podcast and who performs it mm-hmm. it's just not easy it's fair but it's not easy so Hopefully this clears things up and Mary Langston can let me know in the future on her podcast. No, yours. I doubt I'm going to have one after Fox hears my answer to this <laughs> question. My guess is this will be my last time with y'all. No. But the point is, yeah, that's an easy question. Except to me, it's not. So <laughs> we don't have the answer, but we will find I don't out have the answer. I, I, I don't have the answer. I, we will find out. 
I don't know why they went out in the middle of a thunderstorm in that movie. I, there are a lot of things I don't know the answer to. <laughs> I like that. So I like the music they're playing, but I, I don't. That, that whole scene bothers me. Why did she get so dressed up to go sit in the boat? <laughs> At least you know about it. It sounds like you've seen the whole movie. So that's I, I, a good step. Yeah, I've seen it. I, yeah, when the equalizer's not on, I will watch the notebook. <laughs> All right, keep your questions coming, and uh, happy early birthday to you too, Mary Langston. I think it's coming up. It's a little next, far. Yes, <laughs> next spring, but uh, you never, you never can be too prepared. So happy birthday, Trey. All righty, y'all take care. Have a good week. Bye bye. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.